I don't know about you, but I saw advertise the Back to the Future movies, okay? And I've watched them and everything like that. But I want to take you back to the first one, the souped-up DeLorean. What guy doesn't like this car? It's like, whoa. So the souped-up DeLorean, Michael Fox, uh, went back to the first one where he went back to his parents and they were in the prom, okay? They were single in high school. And guess who kind of loved this little drifter that came? Calvin Klein was his name, I think. And, and she fell in love with Michael's mother. He goes, oh, man, if she doesn't marry my dad, I won't exist. So he had to do some finagling and get her to back in. And sure enough, he did. And the changes, he couldn't alter too much and everything. But it did alter a little bit when they got back together because his dad got a new self-image in his life. And he came back, and the guy that used to beat up on him, I forget the guy's name, he used to beat up on him all the time. Biff. Yeah, he was now subservient. You watched the movie, too. He watched subservient to the guy. And uh, anyhow... Um, the, the, the dad was now a science fiction writer and everything like that, and Michael got his dream truck, the 4x4 truck that he's always wanted, and everything was fine. So Michael returns to the present, and he finds all this stuff out. But although there's no such thing as a time machine, I wish there was, you can look back into time and transform your present and future life. And that's what we're going to do. We're here to announce, Pastor Jason, Pastor Frank, and I are here to announce that we have a time machine. Now, you all think we're crazy, but we're not. We're, we're close to it, but we're not. Open up your Bibles, our time machine. On your iPad, your phone, or your real Bible, whatever you have, open it up to Luke chapter 24. Because let's travel back in time to about 30 A.D. On a Sunday morning in early spring, Jesus, a great and powerful leader and teacher uh, who many had hoped would be the Messiah or Savior, of the Jewish people had just been crucified until he was dead. His body was wrapped tightly in burial cloths and he was sealed in a tomb within a, with a giant stone there. You'll notice the title to my message, The Risen Christ and the Fearful Disciples. We're going to cover both of those because it's so important. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is vital to our Christianity and we're going to find out about that. Now, because of the fear of, that the disciples might steal the body, uh, they put Roman guards there to, to post at the entrance. They wouldn't happen and all that. Death, the final and ultimate, had come, and Jesus would be no Messiah. The hope and dreams of many were dashed. There where they are. Now, sometimes when I read the Bible and I, I teach it, I want you to try to put yourself emotionally in the state of mind of the disciples and the followers that were following Christ. Put yourself emotionally there. I know it's hard because we have the whole Bible, we know the whole story, but just try to, in, in your mind, put yourself in their emotional state of where they're at, fearful, and we're going to understand why. So the first verse we're going to look at in Luke 24, we're going to read the whole thing, but I want to look at Luke 24, 11. And here you have about how the women in, in Return to the Tomb, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and also other women, they're there, and they went and reported that Jesus was not there. Listen to these words. But these words appeared to them as nonsense, the disciples, when they came to report, as nonsense, and they would not believe them. So here, the, men, the women came, reported, hey, Jesus wasn't there. He's, he's alive. We saw him. He's, he's risen. It appeared as nonsense. Come on, ladies. It's not true. It's nonsense. But guess what happens? When death is no longer the ultimate finale to, to life, 
you will think, say, and act and say things that are unbelievable. Right here, these women at the tomb were speaking nonsense, though, to those who were stuck in the pattern of the world. These men were living you know, horizontally. They weren't thinking eternally or, or vertical. They're thinking here, and they said, you women are speaking nonsense. It's not true. But the women's, their perception of death had changed. It, it had changed. Why? They spoke about Jesus as if he was alive, and he is and was alive. Now, such behavior, across the board, such behavior would seem absurd to normal people. It just would. And back then, put yourself there. These men were saying, this is absurd. This is nonsense. There's no way. And it's interesting as human beings, though, because we are conditioned by our own history to become creatures of habit and slaves to impulse. We have in, in our lives addictions, and there are destructive patterns in life that we are unable to change, and we hoard our time and talents and gifts as if they would not disappear at death. It's interesting that um, when I was at a bike show, there's a man that has a, a trailer that is pulled by a motorcycle, and your casket go in there, it says your last ride. Like the guy even knows he's riding with being pulled by a motorcycle. We kind of hoard that thinking, thinking that we'll have that. And, but guess what? They, they disappear at death. We choose, we assess over time and schedules, oh my goodness, because we do not think eternally. Guess what? Such as time stops at the grave. It stops at the grave. Now, for those that are saved, we're going to talk about that, absent from the body, present with the Lord. That's what happens to our spirit, not our body. So as you look at this, we're going to look at the resurrection. We're going to see that the message of the resurrection means this world matters. It means this world matters. God loved this world so much, and the resurrection is part of that total package. So look at back in that chapter 24. Look at verse 37, because I want to show you something here as we get into this about the disciples. In verse 37 it says, But they were startled and frightened. Jesus appeared to them. He himself stood in their midst. But they were startled and frightened and thought that they were seeing a spirit. They were seeing a spirit. They thought Jesus, he, he, but, but Jesus made it clear when he told them earlier that he was going to experience a physical resurrection. But for some reason, they weren't remembering all that. So our first point we're going to go today is, first, let's look at the resurrection. There was a variety of appearances of the risen Christ. So let's look here at 24, verses 13 through 35. I'm going to read every, every verse. And behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were, taking with, they were talking with each other about these things which had taken place. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? And they stood still, looking sad. One of them, named Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? They said to him, The things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, in word, in the sight of God and all the people. And now the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened. But also some women among us amazed us when they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. 
Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women also had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. And they approached the village where they were going, and he acted as though he were going farther. But they urged him, saying, Stay with us, for it is getting toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it, and breaking it, he began giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. My prayer is that eyes will be opened this morning. They said to one another, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? I'm hoping hearts are burning this morning. And they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them, saying, The Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. They began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. So here you have that Jesus appeared to the two disciples on the Emmaus Road. And we want to point out some things here about that resurrection. We want to point out physical activities. Remember, they thought he was a spirit. But a spirit can't do the things that Jesus was going to show them that he could do in bodily form. In verse 17, he did something. He spoke with them. And he said to them, what are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you're walking? So a spirit can't speak. I know Casper the ghost can, but that's something separate, all right? This isn't Casper the ghost. That's all may believe. Spirits can't speak, no matter what anybody said. But here, Christ spoke. He spoke. Second, he walked with them. Verse 28, and they approached the village where they were going, and he acted as though he were going farther. So he walked. Something that we do in our present age, we speak, we walk. Then he did something. He ate with them, verse 30. When he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it, and breaking it, he began giving it to them. So here's three physical activities that he did to prove he was not a spirit. He was a resurrected body. He was whole again. He was resurrected from the grave. Now, as you think about these physical activities, they were verified in many ways. One, they verified that Jesus had a body, his resurrection body. Yet, this is a neat part about it. There was no physical limitation to his body. Look at Luke 24, 31, that same chapter, verse 31. Then their eyes were open, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. Jesus suddenly disappeared from their sight without walking away from them. So he had, he's able to, to speak, eat, and walk, but he didn't have physical limitations on his body. And I thought, you know what? I wonder if we're going to be able to do that when we're in our glorified body. So I said, yeah, that is what our resurrection body will be like, having a form that is physical but not restricted to the laws of physical existence as we know them today. How do you know that? Philippians 3.21, I put it on the screen for you, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. We're going to have that same body that Christ had, that glorified body, sealed where there will be no more sin, no more sorrow, no more sickness. Everything will be, 
without sin. It will be awesome to have that glorified body like Christ. And yes, we will be able to speak, eat, walk, no physical limitations though. So as we move on to the appearing, over the next 40 days, he appeared to a lot of people. Mary Magdalene, in John chapter 20, verses 11 through 18, that's the story. We're not going to develop that, but he appeared there to Mary Magdalene. The one I'm going to point out is in 1 Corinthians. If you want to turn there, it's 15, but I have it on the screen for you. Verse 5, he appeared to Cephas, which is Peter. And in verse 7, he says, then he appeared to James. That same verse 7, then to all the disciples. So you see he's appearing. But then to, in verse 6 of that same chapter, to 500 brothers and sisters at one time. All right. If, 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 if 500 plus of us said we saw Pastor Frank eating one of those sized pizzas at Ocean City Boardwalk, he couldn't deny it. No, I was, I wasn't. That was somebody else. No, we saw over 500 people saw you. He'd have, yeah, okay, it was me. And then those that didn't see him, if we witnessed that and said that, they would say, yeah, you're right, you're right. It's like a court of law. If, if over 500 people saw this, I would be free. I wouldn't be guilty if they said he didn't do it. Same thing here. Think about it. Over 500 people saw Jesus Christ. Isn't that pretty reliable witness? I, but yet there's some people that say, no, no. That's still not true. Why? They're believing a lie. Because remember the Pharisees and the Sadducees, what they did? They went and put a Roman cohort to, to guard the tomb. And you've got to understand about something about Roman soldiers. They were, they, were, they were bad dudes. And they were strict. They said they fell asleep. Somebody was paying somebody or bribed somebody or did something, had power to, to have this happen. Two of the guards said, oh, we fell asleep. Guess what happens to a Roman soldier when he falls asleep? Death, no trial, no jury, dead, done, that's it. And yet they didn't kill him. So can you see the lie, the background, what was happening here, that was, was all this going on? Because it was true. Jesus was risen. He risen indeed. Now, second point here is our new birth is directly related to Jesus' resurrection. You say, well, Pastor Mike, how? I'm glad you asked. 1 Peter 1, 3. It's on the screen. You can turn there if you want. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That born again, anageneo, that word means born again, born anew, to have one's mind changed so that he lives a new life and one conforms to the will of God. That's why it says that therefore, if you're in Christ, you're a new creature in Christ. Therefore, if you're in Christ, you become a new creature. The old becomes new, the old passed away, all things becomes new. You're a new creature. Your life, your mind has changed about Christ, that he did die for us in the penalty of sin. He is resurrected and living and is going to come again. You say, yes, I believe this. I know this is true. This is what that means. But guess what? The whole point about this and the lie is none of us can claim salvation if Jesus did not rise. There's a sad verse in 1 Corinthians 15, 17. And if Christ had not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. All the different belief systems that are in the world, they don't have a resurrected Savior. We do. 
But guess what? They don't want to admit that he's a resurrected Savior. He doesn't, they don't want to admit that. Because this resurrection, if it did not have resurrection, look what that verse, your faith is worthless. It's worth nothing. That word means nothing. And we're still in our sins. We're still on the broad road to hell and destruction, not on the narrow road to life eternal. So we're going to be separated from God for the rest of our life if we die. You are still in your sins. Do you see the, the dilemma that, that that causes when somebody says Christ isn't resurrected? We're still in our sins. What does that mean? We're going to die and go to hell because the penalty wasn't paid. Third point is the argument about the resurrection is terminated by his appearance. By his appearance. Now, some of the disciples, and no doubting Thomas didn't believe it, but some of the disciples, again, put yourself back in the very beginning because they said, oh, these women are speaking nonsense. We won't believe until we see him ourselves, kind of thing. And they even said, remember the women? Oh, they're speaking nonsense. He's not resurrected. You think about that. But Jesus would not have left them in doubt concerning such a momentous event, would he? No. For some reason, they couldn't remember what he said earlier. That's why he said, I've got to send the Holy Spirit down, in Acts 1.8, to remind you of all the things that I said to you so you can write the Bible, the Gospels, and they'll bring back memory to you. The Holy Spirit will do that for you. And it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. But a collective appearance allows greater credibility. That's so important. A collective appearance creates a, a, a credibility. So he wanted to show the men something. He said, I wanted to show them that his new resurrection body was real and yet not subject to physical limitations, as we said. Think about Peter. In verse 34, it says there that, that again, the Lord has really risen as appeared to Simon, which is Peter. When you look at that, Peter, who personally, he saw, personally saw him, and Peter probably was telling him, but think about Peter. He was a denier. He denied Christ three times. The disciples heard what Christ said. They viewed that. He even used some foul language, denied before the rooster crowed, and denied Christ. So would they believe a denier? But would they believe a denier? You find that in Matthew 26, 69 through 75. Would they believe a denier? Yeah, Peter, right. Yeah, you saw Jesus. You're just trying to cover up because you denied him, and we saw you deny him three times. We know you're just trying to cover up, and you feel bad. So yeah, yeah, you saw him. Right. They, would they believe Peter? Maybe not. Maybe not, because he was the denier. So you see the predicament they, they were in. They had seen the Lord crucified. Put yourself there. We saw him crucified with their own eyes, and even strong testimony to his resurrection that they were getting was hard to accept at first. It was hard to accept at first and as a fact. But yet, Christ was trying to get through to them. I'm alive. 500 plus people. Do you believe it now? The fourth thing is interesting. The disciples were afraid before Christ's appearance. They were afraid before Christ's appearance. It says that. They thought he was a spirit. They were in the room hiding. They were, all, they were afraid for their own safety. They were afraid for that. Since Christ's enemies put the disciples' Lord to death, they would say, oh, man, they wouldn't hesitate to kill us as well. And they were fearful. I thought about that personally. I said, have I been fearful and have been a denier of Christ? You know, it, it's wonderful when your three kids take you to a breakfast uh, on a Saturday morning, Sherry and I, and, and plus they pay for it, which is great. But my son were there, and my son said, let's pray. Right, right at Pete's Diner, no fear, no, no denial, just pray. 
And I thought, that is awesome. Not, not being proud, but that was awesome that we're praying for our food. We didn't care if somebody said, oh, look at those weird old Christians. They're praying. I bet they're haters. No, we didn't care. We were honoring our Christ and praying for our food and thanking him for it. But I wonder how many people don't do that because uh, I just don't. Uh, or, or you do the drop napkin prayer. <laughs> oh, thank you, Lord. And you pick it up. You know? But we shouldn't be afraid. We shouldn't be afraid. And Pastor Jason has shared many times the Voices of the Martyrs magazine where there's people in foreign countries that are saying, we love Jesus Christ, we have accepted him as our Savior, and guess what? Off goes their head. There's stories about that, or they're thrown in prison, or they're raped, or all the things taken from them. And yet here in our spoiled United States, uh, we're, not, we're not martyred for that. We're not. So what? So we have to be careful. We got, we're not going to be killed, folks. Maybe someday, but not now. So as the disciples back then, they were hesitant to kill him too. They had ample evidence, like I said, of his power, but they did not know about his will for them. They were confused. What's your will for us? Jesus is gone. What's his will for us? What was it for, for, for us to die too? What's his will for us here on, in the United States? And there's an important thing I put up on the screen I want you to look at. When Christ did not intervene to stop his executioners, it was not because he could not do it but because he did not choose to do it. Big difference. Big, big difference. It was he could not do it because he did not choose. He could do it, but he chose not to. Why? For God so loved the world. We all know that verse. Gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God loves us. The song, all the world needs is love. Folks, God's love is there. He loves you no matter what. He loves you. It's interesting because Dr. Stanley this morning, I was watching him, and he's talking about unconditional love. And he said, how many of us love everybody in the world unconditionally? He said, raise your hand. Of course, nobody could raise their hand, and neither could Dr. Stanley. He said, exactly. He said, there's times where I'll agape my wife, I'll agape children, I'll agape people, but on a norm, I don't unconditionally love everybody in the world. But guess who does? God. He's the only one. And he said, Jesus... Go and die for them, because I want them to be in my presence. There's a separation. So think about that statement. Folks, this is our position today as Christ's disciples. We know he can do anything, right? You guys can, the, the, the Marciano, and, and you, about Jeremy, he's home. He was going to die. He's on his deathbed. God can do anything. We know he can do anything, but his will what is it? And what he chooses for us is sovereign. That's what we have to accept. That's what we have to accept. Because man has an innate attachment to the known invisible. We just do. And the disciples, you think about, they would have preferred Jesus' preservation instead of his death and resurrection. They wanted him to take over the Roman government and start up and get rid of him so they could rule and reign in the Holy Lands. That's what they wanted. And they were a little confused. He died. Now what's going to happen? The disciples were just as human as we are when we want to cling to life instead of having hope because of his resurrection. Think about what's spent on trying to stay younger. Billions of dollars, you know, and you go, wow, guess what, folks? We're all going to die. We're all going to die. It's just inevitable. I'll say something different in a minute, though, about that. But let's go back to 1 Peter 1.3. I want you to look at another word here, okay? 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again. What? To a living hope. Hope. El peace. That word is el peace. It's joyful and confident expectation of eternal salvation, eternal life. So we have hope. I, I'm a Star Wars nut, and in each little Star Wars, they always had that word hope. Now, it meant something different in the movies than here. But that hope for us is el peace. It's a joyful and confident expectation of eternal life, eternal salvation. That's what we have. But it's through the resurrection again. Born again through the resurrection, a living hope through the resurrection. That's why the resurrection is so important. See, the disciples, they had not understood Christ's foreordained future. They hadn't understood that yet. It was, it was confusing to them. It was his will and purpose to die for our sins. It was his will that we should also die for our sins. You see that dilemma now? We're sinners. We're, we're, we're supposed to die for our sins. But yet it was his will and purpose to die for our sins. But it was his will that we should also die for our sins. Romans 5.12, look at the verse. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. I don't care who you are today. We're all sinners. We're all sinners here. And he did something for us, and I think I put it on the screen because I wanted you to read this. He died for our sins so that we may not have to die in our sins. Big difference, isn't it? He died for our sins so that we may not have to die in our sins. Oh, folks, that's a beautiful thing to think about. They were afraid, the disciples, they were afraid because that they thought that through the preservation of our present body and its present mortal constitution is the most important thing God could do for us. Guess what? We should be afraid, too, if this is our philosophy of life. Because a change in one's philosophy of death to a view of it as having laid down our mortal, corruptible bodies for future immortal, incorruptible, and glorious ones will bring peace to our life. You want peace? Change your philosophy about death. I think in each human being, there's just a little, some have more, but there's a phobia. I, I, I had to study this in one of my classes. Thanatophobia. Say that ten times. Thanatophobia. It's the fear of death or fear of the dying process. Don't we all have that a little bit in us, thanatophobia? Just a fear of death or fear of, of, of dying process in our life? But guess what? Let me give you a great verse. 1 Corinthians 15, 54. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. <laughs> Amen is right. Folks, if you've trusted in Jesus Christ alone for your eternal life, and you know that he, was, he paid the penalty for sin, that the last night is finished, paid in full, and you recognize that he was buried, but then rose on the third day, and you say, I trust you, Jesus, my Savior. I can't save myself. I'm in my sin. I'm separated from God. There's a great gulf there. I can't jump over it. I need somebody. It's a cross through Christ. You're born again. Your mind's changed about it. You will have this in your life. But guess what? If you don't do that, the Bible says you're on the broad road to hell and destruction. You're going to live forever too, but just not in a glorified body. You're going to live forever in a lake of fire that wasn't really prepared for us, but for Satan and, and the demons. And, but there's going to be people there because you're not written in the book of life. Now, Pastor Jason 
has been talking about Daniel and prophecy, has he not? And he pointed out to us very clearly that everything that Daniel interpreted has come true. Now we're still waiting for the last one to come true. I have this little book here, and it has prophecies of the Old Testament, prophecies of the New Testament. has what the prophecy is, prediction of fulfillment. You go through and say, fulfilled, 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 not fulfilled, not fulfilled, fulfilled. And guess what? And when I go through this and look at this, everyone that's fulfilled, 100% accurate. Take that, Nostradamus. <laughs> this hasn't come true at all. 100%. The ones that aren't filled, are you a betting person? I'm not. But if you were, I'd bet 100, well, I'd bet 100% that God's going to make these come true too. And when he says that right now we're in the church age and the body of Christ, we're out sharing the gospel and sharing about the resurrection. And as Christ said, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. He said that and he prophesied about that, that that's going to be true. So what happens to us that our body of the Christ, what the next thing is, the rapture. The dead in Christ will be raised first because their spirit that's in heaven will come with their body, that glorified body, we their life, we caught up to be the Lord forever. That's the rapture. Then when we're in heaven at the marriage supper of the Lamb in the Bema seat, what's going on in the, the world is tribulation, seven years of tribulation. It's wrath from beginning to end, wrath, horrible things to get Israel back to the place where they say, yes, we accept the Messiah. When they spiritually are restored back to that, saying, yes, we want that, and, and Jesus will come again, and they will go into the millennial kingdom with us. And then at the end of that, Satan's loose, and a lot of people follow Satan, and then we have the great white throne judgment, and there'll be people standing there at the great white throne judgment, and they'll be saying there, I went to church on Sunday. I knelt in prayer. I gave money. Come on, I helped poor people. I even gave my kidney to somebody. I was in the military and saved somebody's life. I'm a good person. I, I, I'm, I should be in heaven. And the Lord I never knew you. Your name's not written in the book of life. How do you get your name in there? Accepting Christ as your Savior. It's a gift. Sometimes, folks, I wonder why. You know, uh, I got a birthday gift recently, and, and it, was, it was golf balls. I went, oh, man, this will help my game. <laughs> not. But I said, this is a great gift. My son gave it to me and said, here, I had to receive it. Now, I can say, no, son, that's a nice gift, but you keep it. Well, it's not my gift now. It's his. He still has it. It's not mine. I have to receive it. Why wouldn't I want to receive free golf balls that I'm going to lose on the golf course? All right? So I received it. I took it. Salvation. Why wouldn't you want to accept Christ as your Savior? Why in the world wouldn't you? Well, he's going to take my fun away. I tell you what, I have the most joyous life. Now, I still sin. I'm not perfect. My wife was in the early service. There was an amen, okay, on that. But she's helping the children. But... Just because we become saved doesn't mean that we don't sin. Paul said, hey, the things I know I should be doing, I'm not doing the things I'm doing, I shouldn't be doing, wretched man I am. He said, I'm the chief of all sinners. But the difference is that we are saved sinners. There's a difference. We've accepted that gift of salvation. So as you look at that, there's another verse in Philippians, I read it earlier, 3.21, talking about our bodies, who will transform the body of our humble state in conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has, even to subject all things to himself. So Jesus, through his death, he did something marvelous. He gained for us a present redemption for our souls and a delayed redemption for our bodies, which was demonstrated by his own bodily resurrection. That's the difference. That's the whole purpose of this. 
Romans 8.23 says, And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves. I don't like to groan, but this, you're allowed to groan on this one. Within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. Sharon and I were saying the other day, oh, we wish the rapture would take place. We want to get out of this sin-sick world. Folks, it is becoming worse and worse, isn't it? It's obvious, if Timothy, the last days, perilous times, will <laughs> they're here. But you know what's interesting? As you think of prophecy and everything like that, it's interesting. You've been keeping up on Iran, okay? The, the nuclear thing they wanted, the bomb, they want to put it in the satellite and in the atmosphere, explode it in the atmosphere of the United States? Because guess what? All the electricity, EMP, nothing would work. Our water systems, our gas, nothing. We couldn't do anything. Food would spoil, and they want to do that. And, and if you look at what's going on with Korea and Iran and Korea and Russia and the army from the north and Syria that's going to come down and attack Israel eventually, you look at the Middle East, see what's happening, and also the Bible never mentions the United States, so if we're wiped out that way, we'd be nothing. Be nothing. Think about also what's happening in the central banks in Europe. Central bank, because of the COVID that we've had, cash usage went down because it was dirty. might have the germs on it. And ATM machines went down. So people were buying things online and with credit cards. So central banks said, ah, okay, we're just going to go cashless. We're going to buy up other banks and just go cashless now. Guess what? We're going to become a cashless society because in the tribulation, we won't be here if we know Christ. You can't buy or sell anything without the mark of the beast. There's no cash. And it's happening. These things, we're able to communicate around the world through satellite and stuff and get the word out. The Antichrist has to communicate his message. It is coming closer and closer. Every theologian and teacher that I've been asking said, we believe. Now, we don't know the day or hour or anything like that, but we know it's got to be close. It's got to be close. And again, prophecy, it's going to happen. Guarantee you. So, let me talk to you believers first. So now, that, now what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Sure, we are sometimes afraid and have our doubts, and that is only natural. Absolutely. Doubts sometimes about our salvation, things like that. But can we return home? Can I challenge you to return home and share the greatest news in the history of the world? That the judge of the living and the dead has risen. He has risen indeed. Now, you that don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior this morning, I don't know who you are. God knows who you are. Is, remember I said, I hope that eyes are open and that hearts burn within? I hope they are. I hope they are. There's a, there's a name I'm going to put on the screen, Glenn Duhigg. Now, maybe you know that name. I didn't know that name until I had to, came across the story to put it here in the message. Glenn Duhigg. You know his name? Well, let me tell you about him. Wouldn't it be cool to have that job, you know, the actors double on the movie set, at least for a movie or two? Glenn Duhigg says, no. He was Tom Cruise's stand-in for Mission Impossible 2. But here's what he said about it, quote-unquote. I don't think many people realize the long hours and constant demands that deflate your ego very quickly. The days are long. Whatever scene Tom was in, I would be the one standing there, being him sometimes for ages as the crew set up the shot, getting the lighting just right and the props just so. I'd be standing there for hours out in the weather, getting drenched in the rain or sunstroke out in the heat. And then Tom would just walk on the set from his air-conditioned caravan or out of his beautiful sports car once the scene was ready. <laughs> in Hollywood, there's an obvious difference between the stars and the stand-ins. Especially in, 
and, and what they get paid. I'm sure Glenn Dunhig does not get paid what Tom Cruise get paid. But let me switch it here. But with Jesus, it was the other way around. Jesus is supposed to be the star, right? He's the king of kings, the lord of lords, the alpha and the mega, the first to the last, the beginning and the end, the savior. He's the important one. Yet he stood naked in the cold, endured merciless beatings. The star went to the cross and absorbed the penalty of sin. And then after it was all over, he simply said, here, take my place. I stood in for you. Now you enjoy forgiveness and salvation. Have you made Jesus your stand-in? Isn't that a, a great little thing? Here, this Glenn Duncan was a stand-in for Tom Cruise, but yet the star for the star. But Jesus is the star. He's the Savior. He's God himself. Stood in for us. There's a verse in 1 Peter 2.24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And then in the same verse, uh, chapter 3.18, same Bible, same uh, book. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. That's how you come to God, through Christ. So if you're here this morning, and Jesus is not your stand-in, he was our stand-in, folks. He was our stand-in. Why not make this Easter the greatest one in your entire life? Believe in Jesus as your stand-in. Today's the day of salvation, not tomorrow. You may not live tomorrow. Today's the day. Accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. I'm not going to have an old-fashioned altar call or anything like that because I'm not going to embarrass anybody. But if you want to really accept Jesus Christ today, Pastor Jason, Pastor Frank, and I will spend the rest of the afternoon with you if we have to. Forget the ham and macaroni and cheese and all that. You're more important. Your soul's more important. Why? Because Jesus died for you, and he wants you to accept the gift of salvation. We'll do that. And I can speak on behalf of these two brothers. We would do that without even thinking about it. So don't leave this place this morning without settling it today. Because guess what? I don't want to read Monday's or Tuesday's obituary and have your name in there and know where you're headed. Prophecy, it is real. Don't think it isn't. Don't think it's a joke. It is real, it is real, it is real. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you for this simple message dealing with the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but also salvation and learning about how the resurrection means so much to us. Without the resurrection, our faith would be worthless and we'd be still in our sin. But thank you that Jesus is alive today, resurrected, and he's going to come again someday. And Lord, help those that here don't believe it to believe it. Help them, Father. May the Holy Spirit just prompt them to say, yes, I want Jesus this morning. Help them realize that God loves them so much. Help them to have that inner peace that they're looking for. And they're not going to find it unless it's through Christ. Help them to know that the hope that they're one to have cannot be found unless it's through Christ. Help them to know that Jesus is the answer to their, their life's problems. Oh, Father, thank you for this Easter. Father, as we depart, we're going to sing a song and then depart. We're going to go and have our lunches and things like that. Help us just to remember, Jesus, what you did for us. Not just today, but help us remember until our last breath. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand up. Let's sing the last verse in the chorus. We'll praise the name. He will return to the clouds, the Son of God, to claim his bride. And I will rise among the saints, my gaze straight.